Hello, and welcome to GovConnect, where we sit down with local government innovation experts to bring you insightful stories and advice on technology, best practices, and the latest trends. And here's our host, Andrew Kirk. Hello, I'm Andrew K. Kirk, City Source Chief Revenue Officer. And today I'm talking with Dominic Campbell, founder and CEO of FutureGov, and the interim Chief Digital Officer of Homes England, the non-departmental public body which funds affordable housing in England. As our listeners hopefully know, our goal with GovConnect podcast is to speak with as many interesting and diverse chief innovation officers, chief information officers, and IT and digital leaders in order to learn about their rapidly changing roles in government. Dominic, welcome to GovConnect. Hi, thanks a lot for having me. Awesome. Well, you're actually our first international guest on GovConnect. So thank you for making the time late there in England. And you have a lot to hold up in terms of uh, setting the tone for our international guests. You think you're up to the challenge here today? I'm honored. I'm honored. No pressure at all. It's it's, uh, great, great chatting with you. Well, let's dive in to your background in your career history. You have a very unique dual roles that you wear now that definitely we'll want to get into, but tell us how you got to where you're at today. Sure thing. Um, so yeah, I tell the, when people ask that question, I tell the story about how I sincerely wanted to work always in city government from about the age of 14, probably the only person that you'll ever talk to that will admit to that. Um, having gone through my wanting to be a priest phase, I then uh, decided that I was more interested in city government. So that's what I, that's what I got into, uh, straight out of university got into working in London city government, mostly looking at policy about organizational improvement kind of work, and then ultimately got into large-scale organizational transformation, enterprise IT, and restructuring, really. But really, the thing that struck me during that process was just how um, at times how sort of robotic uh, that work could be and how this sort of blunt application of very large very monolithic technologies didn't really have the heart and soul of uh, public services that I was interested in I felt like we're dealing with some of the most intense emotional human services in government, uh, things like child protection or supporting older adults and applying a very, as I say, like a a top-down, blunt instrument of technology change. And so felt there was a bit of a disconnect between those two things, um, became interested in digital and design at that time. So this was sort of 2006, I would say, 2007, and um, essentially started to learn a lot around how the internet was disrupting the private sector, the opportunities it might bring, and thinking about how it could be used in many ways to bring a more human side to technology into public services. So I, in many ways, accidentally left local government, city government, after five years. Having spent the 10 years be- before that wanting to work in it, it was very strange to then leave it so quickly in many ways. But I wanted to really think about how could these new internet technologies and uh, design thinking, human-centered design, be applied to the sector as a whole, not just one part of city government. So that's when I set up FutureGov as a consulting practice to think 
to work with local government across the UK and done a bit in Australia as well, a bit in the US, but um, mostly in the UK uh, to think about how could these new practices be applied to changing public services to bring a very different approach to how we redesign our governments and, and make them fit for the 21st century. So as you mentioned, FutureGov, I believe recently just turned 10 years old. So congratulations. It's never easy to go out on your own, but maybe you could explain a little bit what FutureGov does and how you go about your work with government. Yeah. And uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Especially as an accidental entrepreneur, uh, it's really strange to look back and think that it's been 10 years that we've been at this now. And it's, it's also hard to imagine quite where the sector was 10 years ago, where things like Twitter and other tools were definitely not mainstream like they are now. You know, really, we started off doing anything we could to try and persuade people in city government that uh, the internet was going to be a thing one day, trust us, uh, more than just a thing where you could pay your tax or fill in a web form that actually it was going to be really important for human conversations, that the proliferation of social media was going to be important in terms of community engagement. And so really it was sort of beg, borrow and steal and try and do whatever it, whatever we could to try and persuade people through small examples of uh, imagine if. Imagine if, if you approach this problem in this different way, very much a sort of creative agency thought process at that point around applying internet age technologies to public service problems. And then over time, we started to build our own technology as we started to see opportunities to demonstrate the kinds of things that could be done to solve these challenges. So things like our patchwork app, which looks at connecting frontline workers across a city in order that they can triangulate the relationship that they have with a child and a family, get better information and stay in touch as a police officer with a social worker, a child protection worker, a teacher, a doctor, and really do that sort of really great linking thing that the internet is so good at. So we built that. We did another one called Casserole Club, which was essentially trying to take Meals on Wheels from a blank piece of paper and think about, well, what is Meals on Wheels when you think about it? And at its heart, it's a matchmaking service between people who need food and people who want food, uh, people who want to provide food for those people who need it. And uh, and so we again looked at, well, what, what could the internet bring to this situation? And obviously it sounds very much like a dating app, uh, which is obviously a very strong use case on the internet. So we, we built a, the equivalent of a dating app for communities to help connect people who are willing to cook dinner for uh, people who needed that support. So at that point, we were very much testing, playing with ideas, trying to demonstrate value. And over the last three or four years, we've now scaled to towards 100 people based out of London. And we uh, have almost put the pieces back together again, going back to my roots, which are very much in organizational change uh, and design. And so now we work at, at scale in organizations like Homes England, like large county councils like Essex, London boroughs like Hackney, where they essentially come to us with large problems, which are often founded around like we we are using old school technology we have got very expensive service provision but we just can't see a way out of this how can we think differently about this problem and so we generally put in a 
a sort of multidisciplinary team of designers, researchers, technologists, strategists, and start to look at how might we rethink the way that this housing service is delivered? How might we better connect communities? How might we uh, help with people and their journey coming out of uh, a hospital admission back into social care environment? What role does organizational change play? What's the role of digital technology? How do we make that experience as appealing as uh, any other sort of uh, startup experience that we're all used to, whether it's getting a pizza delivered or ordering a taxi, where we really believe that public people receiving public services shouldn't be second-class citizens, but should get exactly the same level of experience that we all do in our everyday lives. So I know when you think about an outside agency, at least here in the States, you're going to get the spectrum of people think it's a brilliant way to create new ideas versus that's not really a sustainable model. So from your side of that conversation, when does it and when doesn't it make sense for governments to bring in outside agencies? Yeah, it's interesting on that. And um, it really varies. I think we actually internally, we've been doing a bit of work on this recently, where I think we've ended up coming to something like five or six different scenarios in some ways so in terms of the types of engagements that we have so sometimes we have people who are just at the very beginning of their journey and they just want to be inspired or they might you know they're they're a little bit skeptical but interested so they just give you a one-off problem to solve Um, and then they might come back for more there are others who uh, might be at the other end of the spectrum that they're fully mature they have their own in-house design and digital change capabilities but they just need help with capacity to try and access talent that they haven't been able to themselves or that there is a, an additional project on their list that they need doing but they just can't resource it and then there's everything in between but i'd say that most frequently it's uh, you know, we talk about not wanting consultancy capture quite explicitly. We really are, because I think, you know, my background and our founding principles are around a sustainable, better public service. Our, our model is very much predicated on like sincerely and like from a point of trust and, and hopefully credibility. People recognize that our advice is generally to be trusted around you know if we're saying we don't want to be here forever we want to build sustainability into your own change process we try and build this sort of minimum viable intervention that can help them upskill their um, their workforce to be able to take it on themselves to have their own in-house future gov we, th- we run a thing called the futures academy that allows people to, to develop their own design and research and technology skills um, so they can take it on from us um, so for me, I think it depends where people are on their maturity journey. It might just be a sort of suck it and see and come back later if we if we think it's the right thing to do. Others might see it as capacity, but most often people see it as I'm broadly bought in. Help me make this change, but make sure you leave capacity and capability behind when you go. So I know you and your organization, you've thought a lot about design thinking So first, just for our listeners who aren't as familiar with that topic, could you give us an overview and tell us also why applying design thinking to government is useful? Sure. I would say I'm like quite proud to say that it's becoming quite mainstream now um, and almost at that tipping point of uh, acceptance that 
it's how things are done around here. Uh, obviously, that's different in different places, but much more than it's it's ever been, it's it's accepted as a a key tool of transformation. And I think the thing that differentiates it from what's come before is that listeners might have their own teams with business analysts with sort of um, more lean thinkers, um, business process re-engineering. Those have tended to be the tools of choice for making change and savings within government over time. Whereas, and that's very much an inside out change process. It's very much thinking about, let's assume that the status quo is here to stay. Let's assume that these systems, these processes, these ways of working are broadly in place. How do we make the best of that situation? How do we make it as efficient as possible? Where design comes from is very much about an outside-in design approach. It's very much about what is the lived experience of our service users when they're interacting with public services. Never mind what's beneath the waterline. Never mind what's behind the scenes. Ultimately, the only thing that should matter to us is... How do we make that as simple and elegant as possible for people who are experienced and interacting with government? And so design thinking brings an approach that allows for the voice of those public service users to be heard, for them to explain the complexities of the process that they have to go through, to visualize those journeys, to try and express those pain points and opportunities for change. And um, and so essentially that's what it brings through design research, which is very much ethnographic, talking to people, watching their behaviours, understanding the challenges that they have, and then working through to design solutions to make a very joined up and simple and hopefully elegant experience in, in public services, prioritising the customer journey rather than the bureaucratic process. Great overview. Thanks for that. I want to talk a little bit about something that actually made me laugh when I first heard you say it. You've said that every government comes to you and tells you, quote, we want to be a digital leader, end quote. But you think what that leader should actually care about doing is having a healthy sense of self-awareness about where their organization really exists digitally today. So why do you believe it's important for this realization and what steps do you take to help people kind of walk them down that path of assessing their own digital reality today? Ultimately, it's utterly fundamental to me in terms of all the work that we do. I mean, we can all come up with frameworks, we can come up with strategies, we can come up with the newest buzzword around AI or big data or machine learning or automation. Um, And all of that is valid. But none of it is meaningful ultimately unless that organization understands you know where they are now like they they start from a point of self-awareness rather than delusion so that they can actually move from where they are to where they want to be rather than from where they would like to be seen to be to somewhere else that doesn't quite function because they didn't quite understand how their technology is put together, how their culture is or isn't working, whether they have sort of a vision and strategy around the organization as a whole, not just in a digital sense. Um, and without that sort of self-awareness, it's really it's really difficult for people to actually s- to move forward through the stages. I mean, we use a maturity model. It's n- not rocket science. As a former bureaucrat, I'm not 
particularly a fan of frameworks i'm not a big fan of two by two matrices and things that try to oversimplify a complex reality but interestingly it was city governments who came to us and said it's all well and good you telling us that what we're doing isn't good enough uh, and that we have to try harder and do differently but where's our roadmap for change so we developed this digital maturity assessment to allow those organizations to work with us to say in this part of your organization you have paper-based processes in this part you have what we call paper online which is that dreaded pdf logo which actually i i, I hate even more than paper because it means i have to find a printer somewhere uh, and then somehow mail back a form to people so all you're really doing is distributing the cost of printing to your citizens um, but not giving them any meaningful digital service right the way up into being able to make a simple payment online or an end-to-end transaction online and then ultimately possibly even thinking about business model change the problem with maturity assessments in many ways is that it it kind of ultimately says you're immature or you're mature as if there is some sort of ultimate panacea of what a single city government digital city government should look like and it is our belief that we that that isn't true that there may be reasons why you've left certain things in a paper-based process because legislation says that you're not going to be running that service in two years time so it's not worth the investment at this point etc etc so really we try and make sure that it's much more about this is just about understanding where you are and then setting out an aspiration for each of your services and exactly what the nature of digital is for those services in different use cases, because not everything has to develop in the same way. So for us, that's super important to help people then develop a roadmap and move forward from that position. So you hit on it a little bit there as far as a business model reorganization, but you have this incredibly fascinating concept. And I actually listened to it a few times over and over again prior to our chat today. And it's regarding how while the tech giants like Airbnb and Uber are thinking about the radical reinvention of the status quo and using digital tools to do that. On the other hand, governments are spoofing it, as you say, and meaning that they're mostly just thinking about the digitization of status quo. So it's a pretty blunt assessment that you have. And so I guess I would also perhaps maybe challenge you a little bit because as you've acknowledged, those private companies, they have the luxury of servicing only groups with money and means to do so. And whereas government institutions, there are democratic safety net for the underserved. Given that fundamental difference, can governments be expected to make this giant shift? Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually. Like, obviously, part of my shtick is to push government out there to, to, to the edges of like where where I believe things could be possible because you and you know the way change works is that if you push them to 20 years ahead then hopefully they'll get to five years ahead if you only push them to five years ahead then they'll probably stick up one year ahead I do understand that there is an awful lot of underlying complexity around all of that I mean interestingly so the last nine months I've been playing this dual role that you were talking about which is in Homes England which is England's housing agency that is intended to enable the market to increase the development of new homes across the country and within that I've been pushing them very much to think about a transformative approach about thinking about um, again how they're almost a marketplace for the housing market they own land and they have investment to put into construction industry and housing organizations in order to increase the velocity and volume of housing in England that's coming through the pipeline 
And again, that's a classic internet marketplace. You know, land plus money equals houses. Uh, and so the, the longer term vision is how do we become a platform organization that is very digitally driven? And I use that very much as a leverage to get a new organizational vision to get people behind that longer term goal. But over time, what's happened is that that pure vision is crowded out by the everyday reality of broken systems along a lot of underinvestment, people who are still having to use Windows 7 on bad laptops. And so I've softened my position or essentially created a sort of twin track position, which which is something that's quite common in our work these days, which is the sort of strategy within Homes England technology now is modernized to transform. It's doing those two simultaneously. What is the money that we have to spend in the next three years to enable and unlock even imagining that sort of marketplace position for Homes England in the longer term? How do we get our data straight? How do we get our systems connected in order that we can then use that data in a very rich, very digital era way to connect market demand and and supply of housing? So, yeah, for me, I think the, my main frustration is just people approaching change in a very linear way where they think that you have to go through year one to get to year two to get to year three, whereas instead, actually, really, you probably need to twin track two year ones, two year twos in order that they converge at some point a lot sooner in the future where there is that fundamental disruption of their business model of their approach. And that doesn't mean they just wrap a broken organization with broken technology with a fancy new website that allows them to pretend that they've actually fixed their problems and reduced the cost and complexity because people very quickly become sort of satisfied uh, and don't then make that leap to a transformed future. So for me, it's just about how do you create that that twin track space? you know, And you see it in models like SpaceX, to be honest, as well. It might even be that you have to create organizations outside or in parallel to your own in order to jump to a 21st century business model. NASA was not able to massively innovate, massively reduce the cost of uh, deliveries to the space station. They enabled SpaceX to be created. Uh, they were then, when that succeeded, were able to switch off the cost of that service within NASA and outsource it essentially to Elon Musk to do in a much more modern, much more efficient, much more low cost way. And so it's tactics like that that I think will get us to the digitize for now, but also at the same time be building the future. Don't wait for the digitization to happen before you start. So speaking about that digitization of the future and the models you're thinking about accomplishing that, I know something that you have spoken about is this idea as a chief digital officer as a service and how this could reshape digital leadership. Could you explain this mindset and its impact? Sure. Yeah. I I think I've had a very unique opportunity in the last nine months at Homes England where mostly as an outside consultancy and organization, you are essentially sort of bounded in the work that you can do. You're given quite a tight brief and you're given and you're often layered underneath in-house leadership that is very clear about what is go, no go in terms of politics, in terms of personal success and progression, et cetera, et cetera. The chief digital officer that I've been lucky enough to play for the last nine months is one that we've we've sort of given the name CDO as a service, where the requirement of the 
contract with Homes England was that I, as the boss of FutureGov, came in with 20 of my team um, to be the interim chief digital officer so that you're not just coming in as an interim, but you're coming in as a, like you're neither just a consultancy on the one hand, nor just an interim, but you're both simultaneously. You're given the keys to the car and you're given the authority to bring in those modern skills with you in order to uh, add to the in-house team and really demonstrate live what that future mindset is, what that future skill set is, in order to not just fix an endpoint problem with a tech product or solution, but actually own the entirety of the technology strategy, the culture change within the organization, the ways of working. I've done a restructure. I sit on the senior leadership team reporting to the chief executive. So actually empowered to make that change happen for real rather than just leave behind some nice customer journeys and a strategic document, but actually do it for real. So I know it's been under a year you've been in this role, but I'm sure it's something you've thought about over your career in the last 10 years working with government. What are the biggest challenges you see facing chief digital officers today? I think the main thing is around this huge chasm between the past and the future, uh, and in, in every sense. So you almost have to be this sort of 360-degree individual, certainly really good at building teams around you to cover your weaknesses, to, to sort of um, make sure that you have the depth across data, technology, design, change management, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so you have to be a great team builder uh, and of, of modern skills of multidisciplinary teams. But you also have this pressure on you to be technology fluent, be able to articulate a really compelling business model shift narrative so you're a chief strategist in many ways you uh, are expected to understand the shifts in the the market and where we can draw from innovation and innovative practice so you have to be doing foresight and horizon scanning Um, you're both changing your own organization but then in my case expected to be able to keep abreast of what's happening in the property technology market or the housing technology market so that you can promote that work and sort of try and supercharge the wider market to move into the 21st century as well. So you've really got a very broad from out there to the very depths of can I get my, my laptop replaced type of remit. You have to be able to shape a narrative and a compelling strategy that is much more about business need and the future of the organizational strategy supported by technology in a way that the sort of predecessors to CDOs, the sort of CTO, CIO type roles were very much about listen to the business needs and do what they tell you to do by the technology that meets their business design. Well, actually, the role of a good chief digital officer, in my opinion, is to be much more opinionated than that, to actually have as much design resource in your back pocket as technology resource to work with the organization to help them essentially imagine things they can't imagine on their own and then help them design a blueprint to be able to get there, which is a very different role to almost being at the end of a chain of events where you then go and buy some technology and implement it. It's much more about leading the vision of the organization. 
into that future in order to either if you're outside of government so that you stay ahead of the market and you keep your market advantage and don't get disrupted or if you're in government it's often about well 21st century public services are better but they're also a lot cheaper how do you how do you demonstrate that how do you create that value and how do you persuade your colleagues that you're not just a technologist you are a an organizational strategist and someone who's interested in customer experience as well let's shift and get started with what we call our rapid three questions so one city source is all about the power that local governments can have in delivering more services via the smartphone what type of phone do you use and what's your favorite personal mobile app i'm an apple man unashamedly and uh, spend my entire life on slack like probably half the world these days two what's one book you most recommend or give away to others the book I, that we've been giving away recently, and in fact, giving away to some of our clients as well, is called uh, The Silo Effect by Gillian Tett, which is a really great read for anybody who's very interested in disrupting organizational structure and form and, and very much about something I'm interested in about some of the tactics organizations use knowingly or unknowingly to maintain themselves, um, sort of the organizational immune system and how you can overcome that. So, yeah. That's what, what we're interested in. Three, what's one tool, software, or even non-tech hack that you're using to make your life better? Interestingly, I'm quite old school when it comes to hacks to run my life. Uh, I use this combination of notes in my calendar and on my alarm on my phone to keep me in check, which brings great hilarity to my wife and other people when I'm self-managing to within an inch of my life. But then also something that also gets me in trouble is just the simple notepad on the phone because clients will often see me as texting, not paying attention, whatever. And it, I've got into the habit now of saying, I promise I'm not looking at my phone. I'm just taking notes from this meeting. That ends our episode for today. Thank you so much, Dominic, for joining Please let our listeners know where they can find out more information and connect with you online. So I'm most easily found at Dominic Campbell on Twitter, and I'm a compulsive tweeter, so that'll be the best place to find me. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure that we link to your Twitter account on citysource.com and in our show notes. And for you, the listeners, if you want to learn more about how local governments are delivering more services to residents through our mobile app platform, please visit us at citysourced.com. If you have any feedback about the show, I'd love to hear it. Shoot me an email, andrew at citysource.com or on Twitter at Andrew K. Kirk. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Please subscribe to GovConnect through your favorite podcast service and leave us a review. It greatly helps us to spread the word that GovConnect is the podcast for local government innovation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to GovConnect. Please make sure you subscribe. And don't forget, we need you to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best in local government innovation.